emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, folks, we are privileged to have our interview with SAGE Global CTO, Aaron Harris. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Hey, Ed, outside of all the fires around me, uh, doing pretty good. Does it smell good at least? No, it smells like the whole neighborhood is barbecuing at the same time <laughs> okay well we, we would call that grilling in texas by the true, way Bar- barbecue yes. is not a verb here we, yeah. it's only a noun I yeah understand. No. <laughs> well anyway let's jump right into it because we are thrilled and privileged to have aaron harris who i mentioned is the global cto of sage aaron's is responsible for sage's technology and product vision He is uh, hands-on leading the investments in artificial intelligence, machine language, blockchain, and other emerging technologies to transform the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. And that's the second time you've heard that already. So at least we're on the same page. Aaron holds a master's degree in information systems and a bachelor of science in accounting from Brigham Young University. Welcome to the soul of enterprise, Aaron. Thanks, Ed. Great to be here. You might hear uh, change the way people think and work a few more times today. Good, good. Yes, as I said, good to be on the same page. And and I actually do really love that phrase. So it's it's very it's fun to be able to say it once a week when we do this show as a reminder. But just to let you know, you're only the third person from Sage, other than me, obviously, to who's ever appeared on the show. And we are we just surpassed our 300th episode. So it's like once every hundred episodes we have somebody from Sage on. I won't say that the other two are no longer with Sage. I won't say that. So it's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I didn't know I had a possibly career limiting uh, opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm trying not to screw it up. There you go. Uh, well, I don't think it was a result of the show. So I think we're, we're totally unclear on that. But um, hey, the last time I saw you was at uh, Sage Partner Summit in Orlando, and then all hell broke loose, <laughs> right? Um, yes. How are you doing? How are you doing just personally? I'm actually doing really well. Uh, I, I have to be careful saying this because I know COVID has been horrible uh, for, for a lot of people, uh, almost universally. But uh, the when you saw me in Orlando, that was the last business trip that I took. Uh, and I was averaging a business trip every week, and I had been doing that for 12 years or so. Um, and so I've now gone nearly six months without uh, leaving my home which is, it's, it's been life-changing for me. So uh, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's been a remarkable opportunity for me to, uh, to, to rediscover myself. Um, and, and oddly, I found that I'm much more productive uh, as, I, as I think about what I've had to do in the last six months for my job. I don't know how I would have gotten it done if I were still on the road every month or every week. So again, you know, it, it stinks that this is happening. It's, it's really horrible. But, but it's actually forced me to, to slow down and, and to, to really rethink the way I work. Yeah, that's great. You get more reading in, I bet, or less reading. Uh, I get less reading in because I'm on a lot fewer planes. So it's weird. Uh, 
uh, yeah, you know, I'm getting less reading in. I'm getting a lot more meetings in, believe it or not. I, I feel like I'm in mm-hmm. meetings all day long, five days a week. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, but yeah, less less reading, that's for sure. Has American Airlines called and said, hey, we, you know, we'd really like for you to come back at some point? <laughs> so so I, I, I did 400,000 miles on American Airlines last year. And out of the blue, about uh, six weeks into the pandemic, I got a, a case of wine from American Airlines. <laughs> totally, totally unannounced. They didn't say it was coming. They uh-huh. never sent any email or anything to say why it was there. Just unannounced, a case of wine showed up from American Airlines. So they're they're pretty eager to get me back in the skies. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Hey, I hadn't planned to ask you this, but you mentioned when well, you were just were talking a little bit about COVID. I know that you have a, a fascination with data. And as a data guy, what's what is your analysis of just from a data standpoint, what's going on with COVID? That's a really good question. Um, I uh, So the view that I have is really um, a snapshot of a broader view I have. Um, so COVID is kind of shining a light on a, on a fundamental problem. And that is that the availability of data will enable us to really accomplish some pretty amazing things. But in some cases, uh, it's going to come at the, the cost of privacy. And we have to find the balance of that. And so with COVID, we, we actually have massive amounts of data that we could use to, to, to track the movement of people who've been infected, to track the, the contact that they've had with other people, uh, whether it's you know, tracking the movements of cell phones and proximity with other people with cell phones, facial recognition that, that uh, you know, we know is, is, is fairly widely used. And all of those things give us the opportunity to use data to be very, very analytical and, and surgical about how we handle the, the, the pandemic but that would come at a tremendous uh, uh, privacy cost. And so, and that is true just in general, right? And, and everything that we do with privacy, or sorry, with, with data to, 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 you know, to innovate, to create, to solve problems, there will always be that privacy question that comes with it. Yeah, sure. And actually that's a perfect lead in because I think that there's some things that we want to talk about that's related to that from an accounting standpoint. And as I mentioned, we last saw each other at the partner summit and you had been first talking about the release of Sage Business Cloud. In fact, you, I, I rewatched your speech and you said, put your cell phones away. This isn't out yet, but now it's out and you can talk about it. So why don't you share, share with me kind of at a high level, what is Sage Business Cloud and what are we doing with it? I'm glad you're giving me this opportunity. I've been working with uh, our head of product marketing to find a way to tell the story of the Sage Business Cloud in simple terms that is that is very easy to understand. We've we've spent the last year or so uh, doing the technical, the technology uh, uh, work behind it, uh, and 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 explaining you know why the technology matters. And it's it's actually when you get down to talking about what it means for for customers, for companies, it's a bit harder. And so, so the way to, to describe it is, is first to give a little bit of a backstory to, to why now, right? Why, why, why is this the, the, the right direction for technology now? So there's, there's two pieces to that. Uh, so the first is that there's been an acceleration in the availability of technology uh, across a number of dimensions. You know, first of all, we have virtually unlimited horsepower available to us in the cloud. Right. And we can spin that horsepower up uh, elastically. Right. We can take as little or as much as we need to do whatever the size of the job that we need is. 
Um, and that's true for, for computing power. It's true for, for network. It's true for storage, right? You go on and on. Everything has become abundant. That abundance has led to the availability of what used to be pretty exotic technologies like artificial intelligence. And so the combination of, of the availability of these, these exotic technologies and this, this computing horsepower essentially says we're no longer constrained, right? We, we can design a solution to, to, to all the problems of business. We just have to throw out the way we used to think. Um, when you think about accounting systems, right, we used to deal with batches, right? The whole, the whole world, the whole process, or, you know, uh, the accounting team was organized around, you know, batch processing. Well, that's an artifact of the world of limited computing, right? You just couldn't deal with, with, with data, with the data without that. So, so what that set up is we have the ability to help businesses completely digitize, and it, it's not just taking tasks that prior to this era were, were manual and paper-based and, and automating them. It's rethinking business models. It's creating business models that leverage digital technologies. And so the Sage Business Cloud at the highest level essentially says we're providing our customers with technology to, to create uh, and, and to incorporate these digital business models, digital transformation. I was trying to avoid the word digital transformation <laughs> because it's thrown around so much. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, when you say we want to help people change the way they think and work so their organizations can thrive, with the Sage Business Cloud, we add to that in the era of digital transformation. So the first piece is technology to enable digital transformation. The second piece of that is, well, what's the job of humans in this, in this new world? If, if we've got these fully digital business models, what are the humans gonna be doing? Well, the answer is they're gonna be doing much more valuable work. They're gonna be making decisions. They're gonna be collaborating with other humans. They're gonna be you know, dealing with exceptions. They're gonna be managing uh, the work that AI does. Um, and so in addition to all this technology to digitize, we have to create a different experience. We have to design the way humans interact with technology much differently. You know, so, so I'll give you a little example. Humans don't trust AI yet. It's, you know, we're, we just have a long ways to go before humans trust AI. So if we're going to use AI to automate a lot of what's happening in business, when we create a user experience, when we design how the human works with software, we have to actually think about the psychology. We've got to design the software, understanding that the human doesn't trust the AI, and we've got to build that partnership. So the second piece of it is building all of those experiences. Now that's at the highest level what it is. You know, tangibly what it is is it's a, it's a bunch of applications, platforms, business services like banking and payments or collaboration and workflow that are all designed to work together in this modern digital environment that, that really espouses these concepts of digital transformation and elevating the work of humans. And interestingly enough, one of the things that you said is that it, uh, identity is the new tenancy for this. And it really all starts off with this notion of identity. And I thought that that was a, re a, a really, uh, really cool point. Um, and we've got about two minutes before our break. So if you could just give us a, a, a snapshot of that notion of what does identity as the new tenancy mean? That's, it, it sounds gobbledygook, but I think it's a really important point. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll try to keep it under two minutes. <laughs> Multi-tenancy was the breakthrough architecture of the cloud, right? Multi-tenancy is what enabled scaled computing. Um, when all customers are on the same version of the software, they can all be upgraded. They can, you know, they, 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 
you go down the line for cloud computing and multi-tenancy is what, what made it possible. However, multi-tenancy is, is designed around the concept that there is a single owner of data and that data is, is highly protected and compartmentalized from all the other data that's in the cloud. And while we still have to have those elements of protection of the data, we have to recognize that, that business is about relationships uh, uh, and that it's not just a, and, and software is no longer just a repository of data. Uh, we are actually encoding business in software now and we are designing software to interact with every individual across many applications and services. And so in order to do that, we have to recognize that individuals own data uh, and that individuals have context within a broader ecosystem. And so then the way we think about experience, the way we think about um, data ownership, data visibility, privacy, personalization says to us above tenancy, we have to recognize identity now as the, 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 the fundamental building block of this next era of technology. Yeah, it really, as I said, a, a critically important point. Perhaps we'll get back to that. I know Ron is going to ask you about some stuff, be him being an accountant. So we're going to jump to that in our next segment. But want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes and previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Aaron Harris, Sage's Global CTO. 
And Aaron, I, I watched your summit as Ed referenced, and it, I thought it was just a great talk. You made so many really good points, but before we get there, one of the first things you said was your, your alumni of Arthur Anderson and you left before the ship sank. <laughs> I just wanted to talk to you about your days there. Did, did you end up at St. Charles by chance or was that already closed by the time you got there? No, I, I did spend time at St. Charles, but not getting trained. Uh, I spent time there training. Uh, so we, would, we did a couple mm. of technology courses there. I worked for the global CIO when I was at Arthur Anderson. And so our job was to establish technology standards and do, do consulting around emerging technology. Uh, so, so I had a chance to go to St. Charles and some of the other training areas to, uh, to talk about things, you know, 20 plus years ago, like XML <laughs> that were new and exciting at the time. Excellent. What else did you learn from your days there? Because the big four, and I'm a recovering CPI work. I started my career just to give you an idea at Pete Mark Mitchell. So that's how you carbon date a CPA. You figure out how they <laughs> refer to the big eight, big six, whatever. Um, what did you learn? Well, uh, I'm going to try to um, be diplomatic here. <laughs> um, I, I learned a lot about myself, I, I think is the answer. Uh, I really enjoyed my time at Arthur Anderson because I was given a, a very different job from most associates at Arthur Anderson. I, I was not, you know, I was not billing for time. I was not on engagements. Uh, I was not working on uh, client facing projects. I was I was asked to to research technology to to form some some opinions about it, and to then train uh, you know the rest of the company. And occasionally, um, we would build reference technology, you know, reference uh, applications and whatnot based on that technology. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was um, it was fun. I mean, I love to learn, but I really really missed uh, the opportunity to use what I was learning to create things. And so what I, you know, I, I guess I sort of knew this, but it, it took this experience to, to really help me to learn it about myself. I learned that I'm a, I'm a creator, right? I'm, I'm happier when I create things. I'm happier when I build. I'm happier when I solve problems. Uh, and so, you know, Arthur Anderson over those two years gave me the opportunity to discover myself, uh, which, which was a good, um, you know, starting point for me to move out to Silicon Valley and get started with Intact. Right. And so you left AA and then you went and founded with some others, right? Including a, somebody from AA. Is that right? Intact. Well, yeah. So I want to be precise here. I was the first developer hired uh, to work mm. on, the, on the, so it was a very, very, there was only a, you know, five or six people at, at uh, Intact at the time. Uh, the founder was a gentleman named David Thomas, not of Wendy's, different David Thomas. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he, uh, sort of seduced me <laughs> into moving to California to, to start development on, on intact. And, uh, my, the link to Arthur Anderson is that his nephew worked with me at Arthur Anderson. And so the first three developers on intact, we all worked together for Arthur Anderson in Chicago when we, we moved out to California together at roughly the same time. Intact was founded at the end of the dot-com bubble. Um, we, we literally raised our first round of funding the day the NASDAQ imploded. And um, we, we survived, um, but, but not without a lot of the, the early members of the company leaving. So after a few years, I was the only one left 
from that founding team. And so I've sort of inherited the founder mantle uh, over the years. Uh, but I want to be careful, you know, to, to really give the recognition to, to David Thomas. Uh, he's the guy that came up with uh, the idea that you might want to put accounting on the internet. Oh, that's excellent. I, that had to be a heck of a journey given when it was, when it was founded right after the dot-com explosion. Oh yeah, it was, it was, it was a crazy time, crazy time. Um, we, uh, I, I like to think of intact as a uh, kind of a, you know, you, you cut a tree and you look at the rings and you can see the history of wildfires and, and, you know, when there were plagues, if you look at the history of intact, it, it's kind of a view of Silicon Valley. Yeah. You can see when, when there were really tough spots, you can see when things were going gangbusters, we, you know, we, it, we, we built the business long enough over time that we, we kind of matched um, the, the life cycle in Silicon Valley. So lots of ups and downs and very, very difficult times, but also, you know, some, some times where there were just, you know, huge, uh, uh, rewards in terms of fulfillment and, and the satisfaction of seeing customers use your products. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And then Sage purchases intact in 2017. Were you think, were, were they thinking of going public prior to that? Was that part of a process? Yeah, we were, we were on the track to, to take the company public. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, we were on a dual track, meaning that, you know, while we were in discussions with Sage, we were also doing the preparatory work for a filing. And, you know, we reached a point where the management team had to make a decision, you know, which path are we going to continue down? And, we, you know, we made the decision to obviously to, to go with Sage, um, uh, you know, very, very big decision. Um, I uh, have now been part of Sage uh, over three years. I can tell you all that my lockup has long expired, so I can happily tell you that we made the right decision. I'm really enthusiastic about the chance, uh, that we, the opportunity that we have at Sage. Excellent. I wanted to also ask you, what's the difference between working in a privately held company versus now a public company? Uh, <laughs> So it's, it's, it's pretty dramatic, but there are some surprises, believe it or not. So on the one hand, when you think about a Silicon Valley startup, you, you think about companies that are losing money um, and, and they're losing money in order to grow fast. But, but what you don't, what you don't um, hear as often is that there's such an intense scrutiny on every penny that you spend um, because you're, you're really trying to build a business and you have to be incredibly uh, focused on, on how you spend your money um, and, and make sure that you're, you're, you're working on the right priorities and you quickly abandon things that aren't working. And so even though you're, you're not profitable and you're spending more money than you make, you are just incredibly uh, thrifty and focused on how you spend that money. In, in a large corporation like Sage that, that's publicly traded, um, you, know, you would think that because we have public uh, investors, right, that, that there would be you know, a more intense focus on, on how money is spent. And, and really, uh, that's, that's not as true. You know, we, uh, I find myself with the ability now to, to, to make inc you know, huge investments on exciting things. Uh, we have lots of abilities to to experiment, uh, you know, because the company is so big and we have so much, you know, we have, we have so many assets to work with. Um, but at, at the end of the day, 
um, in, a, in a large public company, in order to be effective, you have to marshal many more resources. And, and that's, that's the big difference probably that, that is expected. In a smaller privately held company like Intact, it takes few people to make decisions and we can move very, very quickly. And so we're, we're always confident that we're doing the right things. In, in a large company like Sage, um, while I have many, many uh, uh, organizations and functions to support me to help me to be successful, you also, you know, you also have to be diplomatic. You have to to work with 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 many people. You have to you have to sort of you know build um, uh, support across the company for the things that you want to do. And so you're you're sometimes not able to move as fast or to to make corrections as quickly. Right, right. No, that's fantastic. Thanks for that. That's a great answer. Um, you also, in your talk, used a couple phrases like the one that you discussed with Ed about the identity. I wanted to ask you about the, you called it the era of abundant computing. What do you mean by that? Well, um, essentially what it means is we no longer have to design software within the constraints of, you know, computing power and available technology. Now I'm being a bit provocative with that. Of course, there's things you know that you can't do. We don't have flying cars yet. Yet, <laughs> maybe it's not that far off. Um, but the the old model and is is essentially you start from the very earliest um, phase of software development, thinking about you know what are the limits of performance, what are the limits of scale. Um, you know, let's I, let's understand who the customer is that we're building this for, and and what their expectations may be about you know throughput or volume or whatever. Um, and from the very beginning, you essentially you you design within that because you know you've got constrained um, uh, power and and technical capabilities. What we essentially are saying now is stop that. <laughs> you know, design what customers need um, because you have the technology and and it moves so fast that even if it's not available today uh man look at how quickly uh amazon with aws is is launching new services it, it changes so rapidly that that the the whole you know the, the the whole approach to building software now has to be how quickly can i move uh, you know how quickly can i adopt what's you know what's becoming available um, so you, you jettison some some of the old thinking, right? You don't you don't copy the way software was built. Um, you you rethink, you know, why was it built that way? We, you know, Ed and I talked about batched computing, um, and and you know, many accounting organizations are are literally designed their processes around batched computing. It's sort of built into the culture. Well, let's throw that out the window, right? Let's 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 rethink that. Why don't we do continuous computing? Let's do continuous accounting. Let's get rid of the financial close. Let's do continuous auditing and assurance. Why not? We've got the power and the technology to do it. Right. No, I I thought that was a great point as well. You also use the term effortless elasticity. I hate to do this to you because we probably only got about a minute, but explain effortless elasticity. So. Uh, when you go back to the the last era of computing, uh, um, you essentially had to do um, operations planning, where you had to forecast the load uh, that would be placed on your systems, and ahead of that forecasted load, you would have to deploy resources to to handle that load, and you would have to have some big buffers in place. 
Elastic computing essentially says that what we do now is we actually build the deployment of capability into the product, right? And we don't forecast anymore what capacity we need to, to support our customers. We actually code into the system the ability to add resources as needed, right? So it elastically adds resources and, you know, it's, it's very, very efficient. So when it doesn't need those resources, it spins those resources down. Uh, so that's that's what we mean, right? It it very quickly adapts to changes in demand on the software. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thanks, Aaron. Uh, unfortunately, we're up against our break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We will post full show notes on our interview with Aaron at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are talking all things technology with Sage CTO, Aaron Harris. And Aaron, you'll appreciate this. I recently had a Facebook exchange with someone who used to work at one of our competitors in the low market. I won't say who. And his the, the one thing that he said, he said, Sage is on fire. That was his, Ooh. that was his, cause right. And then <laughs> his first comment was right underneath it. And I mean that in a good way. <laughs> I love it. It's working. <laughs> yep, and and I think that that's you know largely due to, to some of the st great stuff that that you guys have been doing uh, on the the innovation side in the last uh, three years. Wanted to pick up on something that you were talking about earlier, and that is that through multi tenancy and identity, what this allows to happen is that artificial intelligence can then learn from all customers and not just one customer. So. And I, that, that's going to have a fantastic impact. And I'd really love for you to just dig down on that a little bit. Yep. So 
when when we when we talk about this this digital environment where where all these things happen in a in a connected way and all activity is tied to to an identity what that enables us to do is to create a network right so so think of this as a network oh, oh so think of that as a a network over which you know all the transactions flow and it's one well understood network right with one directory and one understanding of all the relationships so if if we were just in the multi tenant world when we design um, AI, so AI needs data to learn, right? That's that. So machine learning essentially is taking data to to create models that they can predict and can find outliers and 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 make matches and that sort of thing. But you're you're sort of constrained to the data that's in a tenant. When when you elevate uh, this this concept of tenancy to a network where all parties are connected and transactions flow over this network you can now learn from the, the global activity that happens across the entirety of, of, of the network. Um, and, and so you've, you've got orders of magnitude more data to learn from. So, you know, think about what this means for forecasting. Uh, think about what this means for, for matching, right? If you've got, uh, today we've got 120,000 customers using our, our uh, uh, bank reconciliation capabilities that we offer through this, through the Sage Business Cloud. When we, when we think about how to match transactions to accounting, we can learn from the activity of all 120,000 businesses, right, that are, that are using that service. Uh, we've got, you know, uh, ten, literally tens of millions of, of employees who access their, their pay slips through the Sage Business Cloud. You know, what can we learn from their, their interaction? So it's, it's just orders of magnitude more data um, because you're not thinking about the tenant as the data set. You're thinking about the entire ecosystem as the data set. I heard a, a couple of years ago that UPS and FedEx both kind of have the side business selling their their data in an anonymous way for all of the like the tracking things that are going on. And I imagine that not not saying that we should do this, Aaron, but you know it, that 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 it, data is the new oil in that sense, right? That th this is a possibility that they that data in and of itself is so valuable. Um, Sage could have have some influence on that. Yeah, we could, um, but we want to be very, very careful about what we do with customer data. So, when when we uh, when we look at this next era of computing, yeah, you know, that we that we are in now, I I've identified for our leadership team four themes that are going to identify the winners in this era. The first of those is access to data and control of the networks over which that data flows, but that that access to data depends on trusted relationships, right? And so there's this continuous balance. Um, our customers trust us with their data, and that trust is what allows us to use that data to create these really compelling capabilities, but we must never, ever, ever do something that erodes that trust. And so if they see that we're profiting from their data in a way that doesn't benefit them, um, that's that's sort of violating our principles. Uh, they may not be as as open and as willing to you know to to help us with with these these AI projects as they otherwise would be. And the next thing I want to talk a little bit about is you know there's a there's a fear I think among a lot of people that AI is going to take away a lot of jobs. And, and in fact, another thing that somebody was talking about this week is you know don't don't use the automated machines at Target because they're taking away jobs. And the person who posted this, by the way, happened to be an accountant. And I said to her, "Well, I guess you don't use Excel because <laughs> it's it's taking away a job." 
But you really believe, as do Ron and I, that that AI is is not going to necessarily it, 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 jobs will change, but it's really going to elevate the humans. And I'd love for you to talk about that because I think that's a, such an important point. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly the the point is that AI will allow us to elevate the work of humans, um, humans that are doing repetitive rules-based work, you know, could be doing more valuable work. Um, AI, you know, technology in general has so far to go in really replicating human intelligence and human emotion. But because we are stuck doing this repetitive rules-based work, we're not actually able to tap into the real capacity of humans. Um, I, I'll give you an example. This used to drive me crazy. I mean, you think about how smart Google is, right? How much data they have to learn from. I bet you've had this experience. You've boarded an airplane. They've just closed the door, or maybe it's 15 minutes before the flight, and Google pops up and says, it'll take 15 minutes to get to DFW. Consider leaving for your, your flight now, or right? consider leaving now. AI has no context whatsoever. I've got this, this, uh, the screenshot of a phone that I like to show that's got two alerts that have popped up trying to to get people to do things. The first alert says, why not go outside and, you know, search for some Pokemon guys? And the alert below it is uh, severe thunderstorm warning in your area. Take shelter now. AI has, you know, <laughs> AI has no context. It's got no emotion. It doesn't understand human relationship. And because we're doing all these low value jobs that are that, that we're not tapping into the full potential of humans. Now, I want to be I want to be a bit sensitive here. All of these sea changes in technology are disruptive, right? They, there is there will be disruption to to jobs. It's our job, right, as as the disruptors, right, to 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 you know to, to use technology to create new jobs, right, to 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 help people to to take advantage of this and to do better things. Um, so yes. Right. Humans will be doing better jobs. I think we'll, we'll create more jobs, but we can't just assume that it's going to happen because it always happens with every new generation of technology. Right. We've got to take an active role in, in ensuring that we're bringing more people into the workforce. Yeah. Ron and I, we, we um, often say that as a species, humans are really good at figuring out new and better ways to serve one another. And that, that's an incredible thing that we can do as human beings. Uh, I love the thing that you mentioned, too. I guess this was posters on the wall out in San Jose. Robots lack social skills. Yes. <laughs> so fantastic. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to, to quickly ask you, you know what, you know what I'm just going to jump, jump to this and, and perhaps give Ron a little more time. We, I like to do this thing with some of our guests where we just play underrated and overrated. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a, a, a quick list of, of five things we'll go through, and you're just going to say whether you think they're underrated or overrated and why. And if you want to add, add color, that's fine. So you ready? Yeah. Okay. Nervous, but I'm ready. So the, the, the first one, underrated or overrated, DFW Airport, underrated or overrated? Underrated. Uh, it's my second home <laughs> and has been for, for many years. It's really easy versus other airports to get in and out. I, I can park and get to my flight in five minutes. Uh, so I know people hate it, but uh, I actually think it's underrated. Yeah. I, well, I think people who use DFW like we do as the hub love it. Those that have to fly through it don't. And as I'm sure you're aware of this great saying, I think Kinky, Kinky Friedman said, you know, you can't get to heaven or hell in Texas without going through DFW. <laughs> <laughs> um, second, driverless cars, underrated or overrated? 
Uh, well, I would say that they are overpromised. <laughs> uh, I, it's coming, and it's going to be civilization changing. It's going to be a wonderful thing, but uh, you know, let's not uh, expect that we're going to be able to hail an automated taxi, you know, within the next few years. There's there's just a lot. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of advances required in technology, and there's also a lot of sort of cultural and civic advances required, right? There's there's going to have to be a partnership of, of uh, you know, uh, 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 government and technology for this to really work. Okay, and I know you and I are both uh, children of the '80s, and I want to want to know underrated or overrated. Dexy's Midnight Runners, come on, Eileen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say overrated even though i love that song because uh for anybody who even knows five songs from the 80s they've got that song on their playlist and they're missing out on so much okay fair enough uh this is a texas reference shinerbach beer underrated or overrated <laughs> oh, i don't know how it's rated all right last one on tap all right, last last one of where you are now. Falls in Vermont, underrated or overrated? Oh, underrated. Um, so uh, we didn't mention this, but I, so I split my time between Dallas, Texas, and Vermont, and I'm at my home in Vermont for the next six weeks, hiding from the pandemic. Uh, it, it, when the when the, the the season changes here and the colors come on, it is spectacular, and uh, you you just don't appreciate it until you're here to see it and smell it. They smell outstanding. The, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to jump to our last break a little bit early now, but want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe. Also, go to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE to obviously rate this podcast. We'd love for you to, and we do read all of our reviews on, on the radio live. But uh, right now, a word from our sponsor and Aaron and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! (laughs) 
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Aaron Harris, Sage's CTO. And Aaron, uh, you talked about uh, programmatic trust, which is the blockchain. The economists called it the trust machine. Is this as revolutionary as we were led to believe? It is. Uh, it, it has the opportunity to completely transform civilization. I know that sounds uh, crazy and unbelievable, but it does. Uh, uh, and by the way, I've had a, an up and down view on blockchain, um, kind of reads like a Harlequin novel, my, my love and then disdain and then love again for blockchain. But um, what it, it, think about the tax that third party trust puts on our economy. Uh, you know, how much do the credit card companies get to, to verify transactions? How much money are we paying to... Uh, you know the the, the markets uh, to to assert trust in the in the numbers that are being being reported, right? There's just a there's a huge huge tax on our economy uh, that that from this this requirement of third party trust. So if we could come up with a way to codify trust, you know, from the parties that are involved in transactions, it's groundbreaking. I mean, it it, it can truly revolutionize um, the way we think about trust. And, and you don't just have to apply it to, to finance and accounting, right? You can apply it to, to democracy. Uh, you know, think about voting systems and what you could do if, if, if you didn't have to rely on implied trust. Uh, so the, the, the challenge with blockchain is that it's theoretical. Uh, and for the biggest problems, we simply can't scale it to solve those problems yet. Um, so what we're in the phase right now where we are finding applications that we can scale blockchain to work. Um, so you know, things like uh, supply chains in, um, in the food industry, uh, we're applying them with, with Sage to you know, uh, invoice uh, transactions between customers. Um, but you know, imagine you know, having instant trust, uh, you know, perfect audit on, on transactions. It, it changes everything. Yeah. I, I think Ed recommended to you that you read George Gilder's book, life after Google and mm. <laughs> Gilder's my 40 year mentor. So I think everybody we know has to read his stuff, but he calls it the eighth layer of the internet, the trust in transactions layer. And he also agrees that it's revolutionary. Uh, and I want to ask you if you agree with his assessment in life after Google, that you know, right now he laments the whole security aspect of the internet. He says it's a bolt-on app. It needs to become part of the architecture. Do you think blockchain can serve that role and we can finally get rid of all these passwords and the, you know, the name of the first street you lived on and all these dumb questions? Well, so I I agree, um, but it gets back to data ownership. Um, and this, I, I'm going to bring it up again. You know, this is part of that. Um, you know, from tenancy as a way to manage data, to identity as a way to manage data. Blockchain gives us the ability to centralize what we know. Um, so rather than having data in all of these data stores and you know with lots of replication, with you know varying security for protecting the data. I mean, your your data is proliferated all over the place. 
blockchain gives us a way to centralize data um, and it allows uh, it gives us a way to assign ownership to data. And that's that's a really f just a, a very different way to think about security. Uh, and that's what we're trying to achieve with with the Sage Business Cloud by by focusing identity as a way to to architect solutions. Um, there's this premise that with identity comes data ownership. And if you focus your security around data ownership, it 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 really does fundamentally change the premise for how we how we design security. Right. What do you think about the EU's? Well, there's a GDPR. I always get the acronym messed up, but. What do you think about that regulation? Is that is that the path we should follow? Well, I think it's uh, it's definitely it, it's definitely a step in the right direction. What I mean by that is it's needed. Um, you know, we are too cavalier with uh, with personal data. We are too cavalier with with hoovering up data about people uh, and not giving them control over what happens with that. Um, and so the GDPR is a, is a really good attempt at holding technology companies accountable for that and for putting some standards in place. Um, you know, it, it's got a little bit of a disconnect between uh, what's what's really feasible uh, and, you know, and, and what is feasible. Um, and any of these these things like GDPR and California's new privacy law, there's a bit of a, um, I don't want to say lowest common denominator, but California's law is a bit more restrictive than GDPR, but that means that that's the new standard uh, because data knows no boundaries, right? We, right. we can't design uh, our systems to say, well, you know, what's what's the what's the the country of this data? There's no boundaries, so we just have to code to the to the to the most rigorous standard. Yeah, yeah. You've got an interesting perch on the accounting profession, uh, and I wanted your take on what do you see as the biggest threats and opportunities facing the profession? So the accounting profession is going to go through profound disruption over, over the next years. Um, on the one hand, artificial intelligence has the ability to continuously audit um, using technology. Uh, that same technology is already making remarkable strides at automating bookkeeping and simple accounting. And so what, what the accounting industry needs to do is to rethink the value that they provide. Um, I gave a, a keynote at a conference a few years ago where I talked about this, um, and I, I made the statement that the big four accounting firms bring in, I think it was like $50 billion or $40 billion annually in global audit. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't say, you know, what happens next. And so I got, I got challenged a little bit in, in an interview the next day, what happens to that $40 billion of audit revenue? And I said, well, it should become $80 billion because what's the value of a continuous audit, right? A point in time audit where you get, you know, a historical view of whether or not you're compliant, whether or not you're operating within controls, you know, only has, you know, so much value. But if you're continuously asserting trust, right, if you're continuously monitoring what's happening in a business, then that is invaluable. And so what the accounting industry needs to do is to convert to continuous value. They need to go into companies and help them to design systems of continuous audit. They've got to help them uh, to, to design uh, processes and ways of working um, that, that, that create trust. And so there's an opportunity to, to elevate the value that accounting uh, firms deliver to customers um, and, and by the way, they're doing it. 
right? So if you look at what the AICPA is doing, what they're focused on, I've been involved with a number of conversations there. They are paying very close attention to this and they're trying to evolve their standards. So I, I'm confident, actually, I'm optimistic that the industry will actually adapt with this, this disruption. Amen. That's, that's fantastic. Um, what are you reading right now? <laughs> well, it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, in my Kindle, I probably at the moment have between 15 and 20 unread books. Uh, when I, well, in various stages, I'm, I'm, I, I, have, I get distracted easily. So uh, from a fiction perspective, I'm rereading Lonesome Dove. Oh, um, oh that's a fantastic book. <laughs> One of my favorites. Yeah, I just did a, uh, a road trip um, from Las Vegas to Vermont. Um, and just I just love the Southwest, and it just triggered me to, to reread uh, Lonesome Dove. From a, uh, from a nonfiction perspective, boy, I'm in the middle of like 20 books right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say the one that, that, that uh, had the biggest impact on me was Sapiens. Um, oh, yeah. I just finished that book. It, it basically takes you through a, the history of Homo sapiens as a race and, you know, why what's unique about us as a species you know, drove the evolutionary, you know, our, our society's path, right? Our progression um, and it really does change the way you think uh, about a lot of things. So I, 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 I'm forgetting the name of the author. It's very well known, but uh, right. I, I, I know who you're talking videos. about. That is a good book. I'll recommend one to you that I'm in the middle of right now, and it's Humanocracy by Gary Hamill. And uh, given what you were saying about the difference between working for public versus a private, um, Aaron, it's a screed against bureaucracy. But I, I really like Gary Hamill. I, I think he's a great management thinker, and I'm I'm just finding it very very enjoyable. Nice. I will add that to my list. See, I've switched over to to uh, my my list now to add that. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, who are your mentors and why? I'm stealing this question from Ed. He always asks this, but I'll ask it to you. Who Who are your mentors? Um, I mean, I. Uh... I, I know this is going to sound false and fake, <laughs> but I, I think that whatever success I've achieved has come from my eagerness to learn from everybody that I work with. Uh, I, I, I think, I think that everybody that I, that I interact with has something to teach me. Um, and, and by the way, I, I, that sounds a bit, you know, religious, whatever, um, it comes, it comes from a position of, of always fearing that I don't know the answer and, and wanting to know and, and seeking as many people as possible to learn. Um, so, so I'll start with that. I know that's, that's a non-answer. Um, uh, I, Klaus Michael Vogelberg, uh, who's the chief mm -hmm. architect at Sage and who is the longtime CTO, is a great mentor. Um, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a great uh, – he has tremendous insight into technology. Um, uh, and I, I look at the, you know, the great accomplishments of, you know, the big names in, in technology and, and they don't directly mentor me, but, but, you know, I try to follow their examples. I don't right. want to mention any names because they, <laughs> they come and go. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. Yep. Well, uh, unfortunately, Aaron, we're at the end of our time, but thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you on and Ed, what's on store for next week. Next week, Ron, we welcome to the show, uh, Ronald Bailey. Oh, fantastic. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours.
This has been the soul of enterprise, business and the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.